Hello and welcome to the Sport for Business podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hartnett, and in today's podcast, we are kicking off a new series that I have really been looking forward to. We spend a lot of time focused on youth, but life is a spectrum. And in the voice of experience, we will be chatting to those who have made a significant contribution to the places we find ourselves in now, and who have an informed perspective on how things might go in the future. Our first guest in the series is Richard Hills, who got into the sports game in the late 1970s and became the European director of the Ryder Cup, overseeing the tournament's transformation into the massive event it is today. We speak about the martini-driven start to his career, the influence of Severiano Ballesteros, the shock of 9-11, and the things he would like to see change in the modern game. We also have a great motto to live life by, and more. So, without further ado, let's head to Wicklow, and get down to the chat. So, Richard, you are very welcome. The first guest on our new Voice of Experience podcast. I've had the pleasure of your company on numerous occasions down the years, and I'm really looking forward to this as well. As I said at the top, this is kind of broken up into three parts. I want to find out about what your career within golf and within sport was all about, um, how you might have missed it or stayed in touch with it, and what your perspective is on where the sport is going. So without further ado, you are very, very welcome to the Sport for Business podcast. Thanks so much, Rob, for inviting me on and delighted to sort of uh, come under the microscope, as as it were, to sort of answer your questions on those, on those three topics. So uh, far away. I hope it's not going to be too uh, intrusive or forensic, but but let's kick off with an introduction. For those who are aware of golf and sports administration down the years, uh, you will be a very familiar face and a very familiar voice as, you know, perhaps, uh, a, you know, the lead or certainly a lead player in why the Ryder Cup became the Ryder Cup. But take us back to the beginning. What was it? that sparked your interest and your position within the sporting universe? Well, I go right back to my childhood. Um, I guess a misspent youth. Um, my father used to run an estate down on the Kent coast, um, the Hythe Imperial, which had a nine-hole golf course on it. And I used to earn pocket money in my summer holidays cutting grass and sort of uh, learning the art of greenkeeping from a guy called Jeff Kay, who was his head greenkeeper. And I started to play golf. Um, Jeff gave me the rudiments of the game. And um, that was my sort of first introduction to, to playing the game. Um, having left school, I went to work with Barclays Bank for five years. Um, I wasn't really cut out for the indoor life and banking. And had the great privilege in those days of knowing uh, Colin Cowdery, who ended up as Lord Cowdery, the cricketer who owned a sports uh, agency with a Kent-based solicitor, Stuart Barber, and Brian Huggett, the 1977 Ryder Cup captain, uh, CBH Sports, Calgary Barber Huggett. Uh, They were working for the sponsors in the late 70s, early 80s, Uniroyal Martini, and the company ended up being um, owned by Martini and Rossi. So my early days of um, working in sponsorship was um, Martini-driven, if you like, some of their rationales for sponsorship. Uh, their agency was McCann Erickson. At the time, they were sponsoring Lotus with uh, with Mario Andretti. So 
I got to sort of learn some of your language in sort of in those early days, pre-digital. Um, but um, they were working on the on the Martini International, uh, the golf tournament on the tour, and I got to know the guys at the tour. And in 1982, I was offered a job by Ken Schofield and, and George O'Grady, um, and then I went to work really with the tour from from then, and um, that went right through to 2019, working in all facets of uh, of the tour's business. Um, from probably being the tenth employee in the company, uh, the tour had just moved from the uh, the Oval um, to Wentworth, and um, you know I, I had the privilege of sort of working with Ken and George, growing through the business, and then latterly to work for for Keith Pelly. Uh, with the last twenty five years of that, um, the twelve matches being a European Ryder Cup director. So that is a, a potted history. You know that misspent youth on the Hyde Imperial Golf Course ended up as a great qualification. And uh, I prided myself in sort of um, having great empathy with the greenkeepers on all the courses that the tour visited. I used to enjoy reading the agronomy reports, seeing from the first visit of a tournament director and the agronomy team, you know, how the stage would look when presented for the European Tour or Ryder Cup. So I had a great empathy for that. And one of my fond memories of the, the Paris match well, it's almost like the Tower of Babel addressing the greenkeepers on the Sunday afternoon before the match, saying good luck and uh, every success, you know, working under Alexandra uh, Reyes um, at the Paris National and in, in, in doing your job because the stage under a high-definition camera, it shows up any floor and you have every empathy for the work they do, um, you know, and then you get a match like Celtic Manor in Wales and Jim McKenzie um, and the flood and, you know, going into the Monday and, Every, every empathy, you know, with that profession. So that is a bit of a ramble, but that's that's the potted history of Richard Hills, now retired in Wicklow. That's great. Um, let's, let's pick back into a couple of those moments. I love the fact that somebody can look back on their career and say that the early stages of it were martini-driven. There's a sense of James Bond about it. There's a sense of living the high life and making sure that everything is all right on the night. Back to those early days and, you know, what a great group of individuals to actually be a part of. What was the the dynamic between you? Because there would have obviously been some big personalities. You mentioned the fact that everything was pre-digital, that there was probably an awful lot went on that the rest of the world never got to see was it was it fun being a part of that well and you know those early days were actually pre-mobile and uh you know a, a lot of that stuff was was done then and there, there was one great influencer in the the external affairs director of martini Rossi, a guy called david rutherford who was a very positive man you know in in that company and he, he had an, an impact um on me and, and, and you know and uh Help me shape my thinking how you do things in a proper way. You would have come into the Ryder Cup when it was, or, or shortly after it, it's transitioned from being the US against Great Britain and Ireland into being Team Europe. That basically brought a tournament which was interesting, but probably one for the purists, into something which became the juggernaut that it is now, probably comparable to the Rugby World Cup, the FIFA World Cup, in terms of the number of eyeballs that are looking at it, in terms of the interest from the broader general sports public. Did you imagine at the time that it had that potential to go that big, that high? 
Well, funnily enough, the, my, my first experience of the Ryder Cup was 1981 when leisure sports were engaged by Ryder Cup um, to undertake the press work um, and building. And I, I was involved with building the, the, the press press tent um, at, at Walton Heath, um, the size of which would be the size of the interview room now, you know, at a, at a modern match. And it was an old Carters of Reading guy rope tent uh, with a matted uh, matted floor, which I didn't actually attend the match. I did the pre-build. I, I'd gone on to the four stars tournament at Walton Heath uh, at uh, Moor Park, sorry, um, which was following on for, from that. Um, but that was my my first experience, and it's a, it's a very good question. You know, um, Antonio Garrido and Sevi played in that 1979 match uh, at, at the Greenbrier the, pre, the previous year, and it was you know becoming Europe. And I think you could then start to see see the seed growing of you know what Ken and George were achieving at the tour, growing the growing the game in Europe. And uh, yeah, it was a, a big a big market joining joining the joining the trophy. Was Sevi an integral part of that? Like he is the face, the smile, the laugh, the chat, the hair, everything about him was superstar in a, in a black and white world and representing Europe, bringing Europe to the table and, and to the party was was so important. Do you remember, you know, did he have a sense that of his own importance within that world? It, uh, yeah, well, he had the, 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 the mishap in 81 where he didn't play the Walton Heath match with the sort of um, issue uh, over, over appearance money. Um, uh, but no, no, he was an, an in, inspirational driver uh, of the thing and giving giving people the, you know, that well, sheer drive and determination of you know, wanting to win for Europe. And as European director, I can imagine, I can imagine the highs, I can imagine the lows along the way. What were the ones that really stood out to you as being the ones where you could stand looking out over the 18th? after the flags had been taken in, after the players had moved on, after the party had come to an end, and think this was a big win? Um, it, it's that crossover between the, the winning of the match and then successful organisation is a very interesting one for an administrator. Um, and a lot... Medina gave, you know, tremendous pride of, you know, how that happened and, you know, the influence of, you know, Seve being on the shoulder and Jose Maria being a wonderful and very emotional guy. That, 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 that was pretty special. And, you know, just, just in Rose's face when, you know, he sort of pointed to the sky and looked up, there was, there was something eerie about that one in the, almost the, the aura, the aura and presence um, that 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 was a tremendous high from coming from that far back, um, you know, really reversing what had happened in what had happened in Brookline. Uh, um, I guess difficult moments. Um, uh, it was my daughter's fourth birthday when I took a phone call from Kerry Haig. Um, we were on the dry ski slope in a toboggan party um, for her birthday when I got a call from Kerry Haig, and it was you know. Uh, Jim Autry, uh, the chief executive of the, of the PGA of America, needs to speak to Ken uh, Schofield. Um, Ken was stuck in the, um, the the lockdown of flights, if you like, um, 
um, in America and was on, on on route back. But I had to fix up that call, which led led to the um, postponement of the 2001 into 2002 match. And uh, yeah, that was sort of uh, that was a difficult few days when all the insurance issues were were being worked out and how to reconstitute the match and how to get the match eventually played with, with the same players. So. That was a it was a low point and a, ultimately a high point with with a win for Sam, but uh, and a lot of understanding from Sam and the team, you know, of what had to happen, you know, with the tragic circumstances of nine eleven. There's many listening to us that won't have an appreciation of just what the world was like in those days and weeks afterwards. And the Ryder Cup was the big sports event alongside NFL season starting and and, and so many other things. Um, but if you uh, if you don't if you don't remember it if you didn't live through it but you want to get a sense of it some of the material which is available online is uh, is incredible to look at and uh, and it was a very emotional time for everybody to, to to live through in terms of being that European director when you've got a, a, a tournament an event a global event which transitions between the states and Europe on a biannual basis. Is there a sense of home and away for you as an administrator as well? Do you have to just suck it up when the Americans say, we want to do this, we want to do that, we won't have this, we won't have that? Or is it very much a collaborative process between the two of you, knowing that getting it right is going to be a win for everybody? You're absolutely right. It's uh, it, it, there, there can be some sort of under-the-table under the stuff. Um, but, you know, Kerry Haig, who was my opposite number, is actually a Yorkshireman. Um, you know, he and I got on very well and we, you know, let the match be the match on the golf course and, you know, there will be set up things on, on the golf course, which is the captain's choice. But, um, you know, you're, you're both endeavouring to help each other sort of stage the best match you can with the, with the, with the, 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 the result of the match being determined by the golfers um, on the golf course. Let's bring it right up to date now. Before looking at your own circumstances, you're travelling out. You're going to be at Marco Simeone for for this year's uh, event. What what do you what's your gut telling you about the way that the teams are, the way that the course is set up, the way that things might uh, transition over the uh, over the coming days? Well, Ruth and I are very much looking forward to my first match as a civilian. Um, um, so that that's that's um, you know Keith Pelly and Guy Kinnings kindly invited us some time ago, and uh, absolutely delighted to be travelling down. I've got a very very good feeling about the the makeup of that team. There's experience and some incredibly talented youngsters. Um, in the back on the background here, I've got the PGA Championship at Wentworth. Uh, I worked a Martini tournament at Wentworth in '79. And the distance that the guys are now hitting the golf ball and, you know, the players that are, that are out there now, that's, I think Luke has got a very, very strong team, ably backed up with a very sort of strong uh, set of vice captains. So I would be quietly confident that sort of um, the home the home run will continue. We look forward to watching that unfold over the coming days. Coming back to Richard Hill as the man, you exited from Ryder Cup Limited and from the European or now the, the DP World Tour. But over that lifetime, over that career, you would have built up relationships which will stand the test of time. 
Has it been difficult stepping away from the day-to-day involvement or have you embraced the change? That's a very good question. Um, uh, I, Guy and Keith, they gave me two years, which was useful to both parties because they still had access to sort of the, the old grey matter for their... It became less and less, but they sort of... Um, uh, you know, I was a consultant for, for, for two years after 2019, which was helpful to both parties. Um, one of my mantras in the office um, was every day I would walk around, walk around Wentworth. I would say hello to everybody, you know, at, at least, you know, once a day, how are you? And just to keep n- knowing the faces. A lot of them have gone on to, to other sports and sort of, you know, I, I'm I'm not the greatest of technology and communications, but you know, I use LinkedIn and Facebook, and a, a lot of people now who you, used to work for the tour are now in other sports. I've stayed in touch with. Um, I stay in regular contact with Keith Waters at, at the tour, who's still part of Keith's main team, and as a friend, you know, we've known each other for best part of 25 years. Edward Kitson, who was my first lieutenant, you know, at the tour, he's now. You know, in charge of the Junior Ryder Cup and sort of hit, he's standing back slightly from it. But, you know, I made it a point of, you know, knowing knowing the youngsters in the office and sort of, you know, have stayed, you know, close to them. And, yeah, having said that, I, I'm a, going back to your question, I'm a great believer of, you know, letting other people have their turn. I've had my turn and it's up to, you know, Guy now will be in charge. He will be putting his own style and slant on things, you know, as has Keith and the, uh, you know, I think once you've left an organisation, you should leave it to get up, get up, get on, and you know reincarnate in sort of you know other ways, other ideas. And uh, um, yeah, I'm a great believer of letting go once you've uh, once you've left. I had the great pleasure of playing with you at the KPMG Women's Irish Open Pro Am down in Tremolant Castle, and I can see that your golf game has uh, has certainly not deteriorated uh, since you since you, you left. Have you this mistaken identity? <laughs> since you left the day to day of the office, um, you're living back in Ireland now on a full time basis. Um, what was it about? Ireland that brought, I'm not sure, are you a man of Kent or a Kentish man, but far from home to the Wicklow Hills? Um, um, I've been second time around marriage-wise. My first wife was Irish from Dundalk, um, and then I met, uh, we separated, and I met Ruth in 2014 after the Glen Eagles match at Ascot, where um, we bumped into each other in a, in a, in a hospitality box. Um, numbers were exchanged and um, well, we married last April. Um, I'm very happy in Ireland. I'm very comfortable in Ireland. Um, I had the honour of uh, receiving the, the uh, Jerry Dunworth uh, Award for Tourism, you know, way back in the day. Um, and Ireland is a very special place and um, I love Ireland. I make no, no mistake about that. And uh, just... I'm very lucky to be living where I'm living, um, being able to play golf. Blaine Morrow very kind to me. Pat Ruddy is very kind to me at the European Club and just very, very happy um, in this part of the world. The, the perspective that you get, having been through the mill, having created something as big and as great as it proved to be as the Ryder Cup in its modern format, 
that gives you a different way of looking at the sport once you've stepped back from that. What do you see as being the biggest opportunities and perhaps the biggest challenges that golf is facing now in a world where attention spans become ever ever shorter, where the, the increased visibility of every other sport and every other activity is challenging the, the traditional norms. Do you think is golf in a good place? Well, it's very kind of you to say what you know what I did on the Ryder Cup when I was you know just the fortunate person to be leader leader of a team. Um, there are a lot of very talented individuals who have played a huge part in the in the growth of the of of the of the Ryder Cup. Um, I think that one of the biggest challenges uh, to golf is time. Um, I think the the concept of golf six is that KP Keith Pelly. Um, introduced and championed is, is is a very good 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 one, um, and I think this manifests itself in club golf as well. Um, time is a precious commodity. Um, young families, I think the structure of golf clubs um, and you know the transient golfer is a is a big challenge countrywide. Um, people, students, uh, um, getting married, getting the first mortgage, the golf club cost, and you know, I've got the privilege of working on the um, Gulf Island commercial subgroup, and the the, the, the challenges. With a great pleasure again to be working with Mark Canelli and meeting Sarah O'Connor in that group, and some of the things that you know we're looking at there of the the transient golfer, if you like, I, I find quite interesting and exciting, and um, it is that sort of ability of. Well, Playing, meeting your son, and you know his his life, and how you know a golf club membership will be for him and his sort of financial growing up. It, it's going to be a be a challenge. Um, almost the golf needing the the equivalent of Sky Television's Now TV, where you can you know buy it on demand if you like. It, it, it's something which is out there. I see time and time and cost are the two two challenges. I hope you're enjoying this chat with Richard Hills. The voice of experience is important, never to forget the things that people have done in the past that have enabled those of us in the future to live, work and contribute. Is there anybody that you think would be an interesting guest to have on the programme? Well, do get in touch. You can reach me at rob at sportforbusiness.com or check out everything else that we're doing at the website sportforbusiness.com. Now back to the conversation with Richard. There is a sense that COVID perhaps had a big part to play. Golf was one of the first sports to come back and it's maintained a kind of an afterglow from that as well. But when you go to a driving range, a driving range like at Leopardstown now at the moment, where they've invested heavily, you've got Trackman, you can go there, you can improve your game, you could play St. Andrews from a bay in Leopardstown now, but you can do it in, you know, 35 minutes or so. When I look along those bays, for the most part, I see uh, young men, young women, very you know mixed gender that have been able to give themselves enough time to go up there and hit a few balls. The dynamic and the demographic of the driving range is though still very different to what it is out on the golf course. Is that something which golf needs to 
address or is it something that you actually go with getting them interested and then it's a life stage transition that will actually get you out onto real grass it's it's a very good question and it is one of the challenges and i i wouldn't have the exact answer but i, I think it will be transformational of how that happens and you know it, it, it could be the computer game which sparks someone's interest in in the game of golf um, you, you look at the young Formula One drivers, and sort of some of them will unashamedly will say that I, I've learned that track on on, on a simulator. Um, and it may may be the same, maybe the same for golfers. Yeah, I would also sort of ingest myself, put a plug in for Hazel Kavanagh there because I also go to Leopardstown quite a bit to sort of uh, try and sort out my golf swing. And Hazel has, has the patience of Jove. So uh, there, but yeah, it, it's. It's a very good question, and it, it is one of the challenges. But I, I think the thinkers now, certainly with Mark and Sarah in that in that group in in, in Gulf Island, you know, will be examining ways of how 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 some of this how some of this will work. I want to finish off with a, a couple of questions: one looking back, and one looking forward again. If you could, with the experience you have now, transport yourself back in time, back to those late seventies. What advice would you give yourself at the time about how you might have been able to actually do something quicker then? Or is that a question which is even possible to answer, given the changes in technology? It, for a career advice, and I'm, I'm bad at it, I wish I'd studied a, a second language on a personal note. And if I could have my real time again, um, I probably wish I'd sort of studied law. Um, you know, as being a template sort of for, for a career, but uh, I, I managed to sort of get by without it. But I've always, I've always enjoyed working with people who have had a legal legal training because of you know how the, the brain seems to function in a tick box sort of way, which I've I've adopted um, in in my thinking of how to do things. Also, I sort of learned an awful lot from the in in organisation from police structures which is a sort of an international sort of chain of command of gold silver bronze how i've applied that um scenario you know to sports organization of uh, having a, a clear chain of command and, and decision making process which if you're dealing with you know the, the Ryder cup in paris we we had a quarter of a million people through the gates in the week and fifty-two thousand people on the sunday which is a lot of people to move through a public transport system um and and car parking system and you have to be very disciplined of how you do things and how you organize things in an event structure and i i would say the sort of the clarity of thought would be uh, of having an understanding of chains of command in, a, in event organization is very important in my opinion that's excellent. I, I hope that the legal um, thing was more a suggestion as to, as you said, the mental capacity rather than any it, wishes of problems that arose over the course of no, your no, 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 yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. We we I stayed away from quite a lot of that. Very good. There's always somebody else that you can hand those particular ones on to. Um, before we go into just a little uh, a quick fire round of, of questions, I just want to ask as well about. You've you've given your perspective on on where golf is now at the moment. If there was, if you were granted one wish as to what you could do within the sport now at the moment and create something 
build something, fix something which is there at the minute? What might that be? Um, the distance debate and pace of play. Very good. Distance is transforming. Like, you know, you can't, you can alter the shape and size of a golf course and the length of it, but not to the same extent as the percentage increase in the distance that people have been hitting the ball. No, and, and, and it's going to have to be done through dialogue with the equipment companies, the, as it were, the two cathedrals of the USGA and the RNA. And as long as they keep talking, you know, hopefully sort of some common sense, because, you know, the world isn't going to get any bigger um, and golf courses can't just keep getting bigger. So it, it, it is an issue. And the pace of play, um, you know, going back to the earlier question of uh, golf being time precious, you know, seeing sort of five, five and a half hour rounds on television isn't really helping. OK, the final bit of our conversation, I just want to go into a couple of quick fires. Uh, I haven't given you any advance notice of this, so if there oh, is... Well anything <laughs> but can I, can you mastermind and pass a little bit yeah you can you can pass if uh, if any of them would prove to be uh, to, too difficult or too politically uh challenging uh, for you to answer so we'll, we'll we'll get into it anyway and it is golf related to a large extent um what's the favorite golf club that you've ever played um cypress point What's your favourite go-to club in your bag? Butter. What is the event outside of golf that you have most enjoyed the experience of from a live perspective? Um, Formula One Grand Prix. I've been to a particular. Um, the Spanish Grand Prix, we built the Catalan golf course, was built in part partnership with the Royal Automobile Club of Catalan, Catalonia. So I saw that circuit being built. Um, Catalonia, FYI, was the original circuit, um, but they then found the site closer into the city. And um, yeah, I attended that and was great friends with Enrique Cucurella and Sebastian Salvador, who were the principals behind that, that, that Grand Prix. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed, you know, seeing that circuit built and then attending Grand Prix. Great. Um, are you a reader? Reading a book on Ireland's take on Brexit at the moment, which uh, is quite interesting. Quite interesting and perhaps a little heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. Aside, obviously, from sport for business, what would be your first media port of call of a, uh, of, a of a wet Tuesday morning? That's a good question. Um, I will flip various papers, you know, on my app and I look at RTE uh, on the app and um, and then we'll probably go to Sky News um, because you get the, 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 the hourly cycle. So you know that sport is at 22, 20 past. Yeah. And you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, that wasn't a leading question. The um, the final one then, um, if, uh, if if I could, is that is there is there a phrase, is there a motto, is there a, a, a proverb, is there a, a, a collection of words that sum up the way that you feel that life should be lived? Um, well, I credit this one to uh, J.P. McManus who taught me this one. It's nice to be important, but it's far more important to be nice, and. Um, that would be, you know, I've learned an awful lot from him and how he conducts himself um, 
in life. On that point, Richard Hills, it is uh, always a pleasure and it has been a pleasure to have you on the Voice of Experience, uh, the Sport for Business podcast. Um, Enjoy Marco Simeone, enjoy your life in Wicklow and uh, very much look forward to getting out there onto the course with you again in the not too distant future. Rob, it's been a pleasure as always and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. It is great to learn from what has gone before, and this promises to be a really interesting series. Next up on the podcast is the Road to Paris series in partnership with Permanent TSB. We'll be chatting next to Fintan McCarthy, three-time world rowing champion and gold medal winner in Tokyo, about what his preparations are going like for Paris 2024. You can subscribe to this podcast, which drops every Tuesday and Thursday across a wide range of sporting areas on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. There's over 40 interviews to listen back to already as well. And if you like it, give us a nice review and we will name check you on a future episode. You can sign up as well to our twice daily email bulletins or check us out on Twitter or LinkedIn. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in today.